Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome in to a summertime edition of the WEEI Celtics podcast. I am your host, Sam Packard, joined as always by Jared Weiss. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm enjoying the cool breeze. Yeah, the cool breeze on 96.7 The Fox. All right. Make sure if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, um, do whatever you want. Uh, just make sure people know that we're the greatest podcast in the history of time. If you enjoy uh, our comedic stylings or our basketball takes, please follow us on Twitter at Sam Packard NBA or at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. Now we have a great episode for you today. First, we are talking to Boston Globe media columnist Chad Finn. I can't believe I forgot his name there for a possible second, but I got it back. Can't and, edit this out. And then we're joined uh, by a best friend of the podcast, Chris Forsberg, to talk about all things NBA draft, and then we'll have a real wacky 20 minutes where we go over uh, conspiracy theories, movie theater seats, and just a bunch of random things with the uh, WEI Celtics mailbag. So enjoy. We're going to Chad Finn right now. Chad, my first question for you, and you might be the most qualified person to answer this question, is there's this beautiful symbiotic cycle of hot takes going on between the Boston sports fan and the Boston sports radio and television host. So who is the chicken and who is the egg in this situation? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm still trying to figure that out. I think what happens is if you're uh, contrarian and you have, with social media the way it is these days, if you have a, a perspective, even if it's phony or completely way off, but it gets attention, and it ends up getting retweets on Twitter, and uh, they can promote it on your TV show, whatever it is. Uh, it gets you attention, good or bad, that's better than no attention at all. And so um, that tends to drive a lot of the narrative around here with all sports. But uh, with the Celtics, it's, there's another element to it, I think. And that's I, I don't know um, if we have quite, especially in electronic media, have quite enough Celtics knowledge. I mean, there's certainly hosts. Uh, on TV, on TV, on WEI, on, on the other station that, that know it, but maybe not to the degree that they know the Red Sox and Patriots. And so you tend to hear people maybe opining on the Celtics and where they are in terms of their team building and who they should draft and who they should sign and all these things who maybe either just jumped on the Celtics bandwagon or uh, aren't even sure they're on the Celtics bandwagon and haven't really paid a lot of attention but know that they need to talk about it. So for people like us who actually follow the team, cover the team, and uh, have this awareness of uh, really the remarkable things that they've done to get to this point, just to get to this point. It can be frustrating to listen to some of those hot takes about uh, yeah, Durant's not coming here and Al Horford's a stiff and uh, why didn't they just draft Jimmy Butler in the first place? And why the didn't they, Chad? Garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so it, it 
it, it gets old uh, when you hear it time after time after time. Uh, that's one of the questions I want to ask you, Chad, is that the Celtics historically have been kind of the, the fourth place team in this town, and I'm, I haven't really been able to figure out why that is, and I was wondering if you could lend any wisdom to that. Yeah, it's all cyclical. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, and, uh, you know, before I, I was talking to you guys, I was watching the documentary on the 86 Celtics, and uh, at that point in time, there was nothing bigger than them. Uh, it, it sort of depends on two factors, which is how much success they've uh, franchises had recently and how much uh, the fan base thinks they're going to have in the future. Um, I, I think of the, this current Celtics team, you know, they had the down year, Brad's first year, uh, built up to what forty one the second year and forty seven was it this year? Pretty good leap, you know, going from uh, going from squeaking in the playoffs to seven up to five and uh, being the team people thought could advance even though it didn't quite work out. Uh, the attention is turning back their way a little bit. Uh, the Bruins, who won the cup uh, five years ago, uh, as we speak here, five years ago from the state, um, they're turning downward. And so I think in the winter sports, the, the talk in the near future and beyond is probably going to be about the Celtics because they're going to be the better team. With the Patriots, when I grew up, nobody cared about the Patriots at all. And then Parcells and Bledsoe show up, and a few years later, uh, Belichick and uh, Tom Brady show up, and, and you, you could argue they're solid number one in the city right now. And, of course, the Red Sox have always mattered to some degree, some big degree. But uh, there was a point in time where the Celtics were number one, and I, I just think if uh, – you know, if you have that uh, that team that's a championship contender, the attention is always going to be there. Well, so what are the factors besides winning and contending, obviously, that you think keeps a team prevalent in this city? Um, well, I, I think you could argue that it's more of a hockey town, quote-unquote, than a basketball town. Uh, you drive down Route 1 in, in Saugus and see uh, you know hockey town and see all the rinks all over the place. And Bobby Orr built those, not with his own hands, but uh, with the way he inspired sports fans and kids around here with the way he played hockey back in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, and so there's a couple of generations of people who, who grew up thinking Massachusetts was a hockey state. Uh, with the Celtics, 86, and the 80s when Bert and Bert got here in 79, that, that was the heyday. Uh, there were some down years after that, and I think uh, sort of the casual fans certainly lost interest in um, other fans uh, who maybe hopped on uh, and, and pulled for that team but really weren't huge lifelong basketball fans abandoned them as well. And uh, it, Again, it's just so cyclical. Um, it, depending on, I, I think, success is the number one indicator far and away over uh, over what fans are rooting for at that point in time. And I, I'm never going to think of Boston or New England as a football country because I grew up in the time when they had some pretty good teams never won anything but in the 70s and 80s, but had some good teams, and they were, again, that distant fourth. Uh, I, I think if you're just looking in terms of general popularity of the sport itself, uh, taking the factors out of how, how well the teams are doing at that particular time, it's probably baseball and hockey one, two, and uh, I'd put basketball three and probably football four. It just happens to be that uh, the football team we've had here for the last 16 years is one of the, if not the great dynasty in league history, and so of course, they're number one uh, right now, but uh, that can be surpassed when someone else starts doing great things. Given what you said before about kind of the, I guess, both these uh, two sports networks not really having a go-to Celtics person, save for maybe Michael Hawley on our station, how do right. you assess the level of kind of just Boston Celtics coverage and the state of the Boston Celtics media today? How, do you think there's, there, like, the quality of the coverage is up there, and uh, who do you think is doing the best job in terms of covering the team? 
I think it's exceptional uh, with uh, whether you want to say digital media, you know, online or blogs or um, uh, even newspapers, print. Uh, the written word is outstanding because I think you have a really wide range of options there. Probably, uh, I've thought this for a while, I think among those four teams we just talked about, the four Boston sports teams, the one that gets the best coverage and the widest range of coverage with the written word is is the Celtics, and uh, uh, you look at the guys who cover the beat. There's a real variety uh, of what they do and what they're good at. You know, Forsberg's Forsberg's good at a lot of things, uh, but he's he's probably the best at salary cap and breaking that down. And I know people in the Celtics front office. Uh, Rich Gotham's told me this that they have a ton of respect for him because he asks the right questions about the cap that he really has worked to understand that. And that's a great skill to have if you have it because it's going to give you an advantage. Um, I think Adam Himmelsbach, who I work with, and Gary Washburn, they do uh, really good things uh, as well. Himmelsbach is a really clever writer. He, he, uh, he He's sort of uh, subtle because he's not one of those really flowery guys, but you read his stuff and think, wow, that was really good, and I learned a lot. And he, uh, he and Gary both have a really good rapport with the players. Uh, I, know, I know Adam is... Uh, Got forged kind of a bond with Isaiah Thomas. It's worked out well with some good stories. So um, I, I just think overall, and with the blogs, whether it's Celtics blog, uh, uh, you know, Celtics life, whatever it happens to be, they're they're tremendous coverage of this team and always great and thoughtful options to read about. Uh, with print, uh, with television and radio, uh, it, it's hit or miss. I don't think um, the other station does, a, uh, which is now the. Uh, home of the Celtics have the broadcast rights. I don't think they do a very good job of it at all. They're, it's trolling and uh, tends to be the, you mentioned hot takes earlier. I think that's really their approach, especially in the afternoon show over there uh, in terms of talking about this team because they're not really that informed about them. I, I agree with you on Michael Hawley. I think he's the best in the city at talking about the Celtics on the radio or on television. And he was a beat guy. He worked for the Globe. He was a columnist at the Globe, but he covered some terrible Celtics teams in the 90s, so he's got institutional memory with this franchise, and that comes through on the radio. Um, television, uh, the broadcast itself is terrific. Uh, Mike Gorman's as good a broadcaster, I think, as there is in the country at just about anything. Could have more respect for him, but uh, some of the studio programming, especially on Comcast, uh, I think it tends to be lacking sometimes in, in, in terms of the insight that you get with the Celtics, but in terms of uh, what you guys do, the podcasts, the, the written stuff uh, across the various mediums, I think it's really great because there are just so many options to read about. And it's really fun right now around the draft because uh, you get all kinds of various well-formed uh, opinions from people who have done their homework and who the Celtics might take with that free pick, who they might not take. And so uh, you get a lot of information, a lot of well-thought-out, clever stuff. And uh, as someone who uh, loves the NBA, thinks the league is as good as it's ever been right now, and uh, really enjoys the Celtics and has a lot of respect for the way they do things, uh, I feel fortunate to be able to, to read it and hopefully contribute to it uh, in the city. So you're on a podcast. You're on one of the Celtics podcasts right now, and I've and obviously you listen to every single one religiously. Why wouldn't you? But All of them, yes. <laughs> I have 48 hours in my day. So. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, but how has how has podcasting changed the landscape in Boston sports as an alternative for radio shows? Because you know, like Felger and Maz, it's, it's I think especially when they talk Celtics, it's most amusing because I while I never really listen to the radio live anymore, 
I remember Felger, at least when I was in high school and college, constantly talking about how he doesn't pay attention at all to the NBA. Then, of course, he'll yeah. come in flying in with some burning hot takes that burn the studio down. So <laughs> has, do you think that the because there's been at least on the Celtics side, there's been like a podcast arms race where this podcast has been on for a couple of years. There's been pretty much every outlet has put together a Celtics podcast at this point. And you can get at any any day of the week, you can get pretty much a new episode with generally a little bit of varying degree of style and, t- and uh, viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of good ones, too. You guys still on S Radio. Um, Thank you again. King and and uh, I've listened to those. And you know, I've listened to Rainy Jays with uh, Carolus and uh, Jay King. And uh, it, it's an incredible option to have. I mean, I live in Maine, so I commute about an hour and a half uh, for, uh each way, three days a week. And I'm a sports media writer at the Globe. I have to listen to sports radio. I'm fortunate to get paid for it because otherwise I wouldn't do it uh, uh, as much as I do. I mean, I, I try to listen to every show to some degree every day, even if that's in podcast form. Um, and sometimes uh, podcasts end up being a respite. You know, you, you, you want to hear something good about the Celtics. And, uh, you know, Felger and Maz are yelling that Xander Bogarts is never going to develop power. And you like, I don't want to listen to this now. I want to, I want to listen to why Dragon Bender is the, the guy to take or why Buddy Heald uh, uh, is going to be a one-dimensional player in the NBA. Or, oh, that was our last episode. Yeah. You know, so I, I just uh, – you can be selective about what you want to hear. And I, some, some walks of life, I don't think that's a good thing. Like uh, I think part of the problem with our culture is that uh, nobody listens to the other viewpoint anymore. If you're if you're Republican, you're watching Fox News and uh, they're speaking to you. And if you're Democrat, you're watching whatever MSNBC or whatever it is, and they're speaking to you. And nobody, uh, you know, nobody has that back and forth. But I think with sports, it's a good thing because you can be really select. We're, we're all fans of a certain team and in a certain market, and you can be really selective about what you listen to and uh, there are more and more good options out there and more and more rewarding and fulfilling options and uh, to me that's that, that's nothing but a good thing i wish i didn't have to listen to uh things i don't want to listen to sometimes so it's part of my job you guys are fortunate because you can pick and choose what you want with that being said uh do you think that there's the celtics front office kind of get a i don't want to say a free pass but there's a lot kind of a less critical tone i mean if you listen to Kirk Minahan's podcast, which I, I'm a huge fan of. He's always pining for someone to just be there and stir the pot and just for the sake of doing it. And it feels like certainly being around the Celtics media for the past two years, generally the coverage of the team is pretty positive. Um, and there's a lot of, um, I'm considering myself one of them, kind of a, a media fan hybrid. So do you think there's enough uh, kind of critical, I don't want to use a word other than take, but a cri- critical um, perspective on the team? Uh, do you think that's lacking? Um, I don't, uh, to to a certain degree. I mean, I understand where that perspective comes from because uh, you can, you know, Felger and Maz, to speak of them again, um, they yelp about, well, what's why Danny? When Ainge and Steven signed their extensions recently, they were yelping, well, one championship in 13 years, one championship in 13 years. Well, Brad Stevens' career record is under 500, and it's really easy to ignore context. And to uh, to rile people up and say, uh, get them to think, well, you're lying to me. You're you're deceiving me to make your point. Yeah, the Angels won one thirteen, won one championship in thirteen years, but he took over a crap team and uh, immediately got rid of Antoine Walker, and they went through some down years, and he made a couple of great draft picks, and 
made all these uh, franchise-shifting trades, whether it's Garnett or Ray Allen or the Nets deal or Isaiah Thomas or on down the line. And uh, I think with context, you realize, well, they deserve the benefit of that. Yeah, there have been missteps. I have no idea what they saw in Juwan Johnson. Uh, I have no idea what they saw in J.R. Giddens. Uh, they've missed on certain picks. But for the most part, it, I think if you measured every NBA organization and looked at what the Celtics do and how they've drafted and the absolute heists that Ainge has made, even in small deals, you have to really feel really good about this management team. And um, maybe sometimes it swings too far in their favor because you have people out there who are being deceptively negative about it to, to get their phones ringing, to get their articles read, and all of those things. Um, uh, it's just, uh, I also, you know, I love Kirk's podcast. Um, it's terrific. Uh, but I, I, did, I fundamentally disagree with him on that point that, uh, you need more people pushing buttons and uh, uh, sort of being critical in, in the city. I, I think being critical uh, is the easiest way to get lucrative gigs in Boston. If you're critical, you might get your own radio show. If you're critical and over the top about it, uh, you might get the gigs Gary Tangway has or somebody like that. It's much, much harder to be reasonable and to think things through and to write well about things and to build an audience that way it is to go to the, to the roof of the garden and scream that Danny Ainge isn't always cracked up to be or Brad Stevens is just a mid-level college coach because that is going to get attention even if it's stupid. Uh, the hard thing is doing good work and doing good work and doing good work and getting attention that way incrementally because uh, it's much it, it's just harder work. It's more challenging to build an audience as someone who's reasonable rather than building an audience by just being the loudest and most obnoxious. You know, as someone who covers every single home game, I find myself once a couple times a year wondering if I'm starting to lose objectivity. And then you'll have people from around the league or around the country talking about how Stevens is looked at as one of the best coaches in the league and Angels looked at as right. one of the best executives in the league. You know, part of the thing is we as just naturally as being naturally cynical, which is something that's engraved in your brain when you're born in the Boston area, you you think something is off if there's kind of like a a kind of a white background and there's not noise in the background behind whatever's going on there. And the Celtics get I think Packard is right in that the Celtics do get generally positive coverage on the whole, especially when I've been talking to a lot of Knicks and Nets writers over the past year, and it's a completely different <laughs> tone right now because the Celtics management, unlike those franchises, is seen as so rock solid that whenever something goes wrong, there's this kind of uh, there's a subconscious expectation that it's going to work itself out because management is so solid top to bottom. Yeah, I think what gets lost in that criticism, too, of, of cherry-picking the, the things that haven't worked out is that it's, it's really, really, really hard in the NBA to build a, a championship contender. It's, it's virtually impossible without uh, lottery luck or without uh, being able to convince one of the, what, 10 best players, eight, seven or eight best players, maybe it's even fewer than that, to come to your team and, and play in your city as a free agent. Otherwise... Um, it's it, it's virtually impossible to build a team that's going to hang a banner. And yet you look at what Ainge has done, and he's found so many good players in weird places or uh, unlikely spots in the draft. I mean, you go back to finding Tony Allen and Jefferson and, and Delonte West, and what was it, the 03, 04, that draft around there. Um, you 
go through history and see every uh, trading for Rondo at what twenty two with the Suns having them pick him for them getting Avery Bradley late in the draft uh, when they were targeting Eric Bledsoe and ended up with Bradley the other player they really liked or finding guys in the second round or useful players like Poe or Big Baby or uh, you know finding a defender like Marcus Smart at six when when some people thought they should have taken somebody else. Uh, heisting Jay Crowder in the Rondo deal, heisting Isaiah Thomas on that great contract from the Suns, and on and on. Uh, these aren't mega things. These aren't things that are going to make you an instant contender, but they are things that confirm that Danny Ainge is really, really good in his job. And like you said, if there's uh, skepticism out there uh, among the fan base or cynicism, whatever it is, well, ask Greg Popovich what he thinks of Brad Stevens. Uh, ask somebody who's who's been uh, decided not to make a deal with Ainge because uh, he felt like the deal might be a good one for his team, but he was wary of getting uh, ripped off by Ainge, and there are GMs out there like that that don't want to deal with him because they feel like he's always got an angle. Uh, Ask around the league, like you said, and and the Raves will come in pretty quickly about what the Celtics have done. No, they haven't got their Kevin Garnett Garnett or Kevin Durant or uh, the, the superstar that they need this time around like they got back in 07, but uh, they've put themselves almost in a position to be able to do that. They've put themselves in a position with that net deal that they have a really, really bright future. And if you can't appreciate that, even being a cynical New Englander, then uh, yeah, I, I don't think you've really been paying attention. That's what I would tell people. All right, Chad, we're going to get you out of here on one last question. Uh, sure. Who do you think they should draft at number three? What do you think their strategy should be? Do you have a favorite uh, favorite prospect? <laughs> Uh, I hope Ben Simmons falls to three. He (laughs) refuses to work out for the Sixers and the Lakers and uh, ends up here, but that probably won't happen. I I don't know. I mean, I was looking at all the various mock drafts the other day, and it's unreal how various uh, varied sites have different people there. I've seen NBA Draft.net has healed still, and Bender's on a couple, and Jamal Murray's one, people think, and uh, Marquise Chris is rising up. The Jalen Brown thing came out the other day. Uh, so it's uh, it, it seems like a real craft shoot. I think it's Bender, but I don't know. And I don't know when anybody's going to find out who they really like. I mean, the one guy everybody's crossing off is Chris Dunn. And to me, that makes me think, hmm, maybe they really like Chris Dunn. So uh, I, it, it's a mystery, and it's added a lot of fun to the build up to the draft. But, uh, man, I'd really like to know who they like. And, uh uh, if I had to bet, I'd say it's Bender 1 and, and Jamal Murray 1A, but I have absolutely no, no idea what Danny Ainge is thinking, and nobody else does either. All right, Chad, thanks for joining us. Chad's a sports media columnist for the Boston Globe. You can find him on Twitter, at Globe Chad Finn. And thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, guys. Lots of fun, and uh, keep up the good work with us. Big thanks to Chad Finn for joining us. Now we're going to dive deeper into the Celtics and the draft with the great Chris Forsberg, the best friend of the podcast, and I feel safe in saying that. Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston. How are you doing on this lovely evening, Chris? What is going on? So I have to follow Chad? I No, we haven't decided yet. So uh, oh, well, They always really? say save the best for last. I feel like we're doing you a great honor here. I was going to say, well, I, okay, I, now if you put it that way, I'm, I'll be sweeter about it, but I just don't like the fact that he probably was, like, super great, and now i got to be try to live up to that standard. Well, with the power of post-production, I'm going to take this opportunity and say you'll go first uh, just <laughs> because we have this history together. 
Well, I, I don't mind that. Okay, now let's talk about what Chad said about you in the interview that will happen afterwards. So, <laughs> so we discovered that not only were you two neighbors at Boston.com's offices, which were, were they in uh, Dorchester or the Globe office, or where were yes, they? Okay, exactly. the infamous office, which is moving now to the financial district, I believe. It- are they selling that building? Or yeah, I don't. I don't know, but I I know that they're moving to the like State Street or something like that, and they have wow. to sell that giant uh, map mural that's in the front. I've never actually been inside, so I'm not esteemed enough to have graced the presence of Chad Finn and Chris Forsberg while at work. But it turned out that your true passion uh, before you were on the Celtics gig was for Patriots football, which surprised me because I don't think I've ever heard you mention the Patriots in like the five years that I've known you. <laughs> Well, it was it feels like another lifetime ago, but yeah, it's like um, I was a high school sports reporter, but it was sort of like you, you know you you made what you, you, you could out of it, and so there was an opportunity, especially at that point when sort of the multimedia was just taken off of the globe, and 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 so they they like came to me with a little handheld recorder, and it was it was supposed to be for like high school sports highlights, and I was like, well, I can go to some Patriots games and tape our reporters talking about these games and like those reporters must hate me so much i joke with with jackie mcmullen all the time I'm like man you you must have thought i was the worst because here i am after you go to a game and you and you you write your column on deadline and you just want to get out of there at one in the morning and then i'm like hey do you want to just talk for three minutes about what you wrote and uh i, I it luckily none of them clotheslined me or or shunned me and i get to go do a bunch of super bowls and it was a. Uh, it was fun. Yeah. It was. It, it, again. It, I. I. I really enjoyed the Patriots experience. It. It was. A, it was a nice sort of immersion. Like, listen, I. I didn't have to do anything. I just watched Gasper and, and Reese do their thing, and then just held up a video camera. And so, uh, but it was a good preparation for for covering basketball. I do miss the days of a 53 man locker room because stories were a lot easier to come by, and you didn't quite have to swarm guys quite as much as, as you guys understand how it works in the in the Celtics locker room. Well, I usually just jump on your shoulders in order to get to Isaiah because <laughs> it's impossible to get him unless you're in the inside of the circle. <laughs> I, I, there, with, for people who they, we're probably going too deep here, like I don't know if Celtics fans will even care, but there are people that have like microphones attached to fishing poles in order to get <laughs> close and hear what people say, and that's, that's the working conditions we have. The There's thing a, about Forsberg is he's not a scrum guy. He's not going to get in there just to get his recorder. He'll get his sound later. He's, he usually hangs out in the background. There's some guys who are real about positioning and will throw some elbows, but that's not Chris. Well, the real story yeah. is the cameraman farting at the end of the scrum, obviously. Well, so that's the funny part, right? Because at, at back in the day when I was carrying around this video camera, I would have to have stools or, like, you know, I was competing for that space. Now it's like, well, you know, Sam's in there with his recorder. I'll get that audio later. Let you you battle for position. Well, let's talk about the team that uh, we all actually cover and that you've been covering for the past five years. It's NBA draft season, and that means um, there's a bunch of workouts, a bunch of players coming in, and a bunch of people spewing conjecture, wild conjecture about who the Celtics are going to take. So right now, Chris, on the record, on the WEI Celtics podcast— who are the Celtics going to take at 3, 16, 23, and 33? <laughs> and 31. Oh, yeah, why stop there? Why don't we go 45, 51, and 58? Well, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, 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 I hate to say I'm, I'm that classic guy who, like, every time they bring in someone new or someone new hits a bunch of shots, I kind of jump the bandwagon. But really, as I'm, it, this is my first exposure to a lot of these guys, and 
you know, they know a whole lot more about these guys and have watched them a whole lot longer than I have. So I'm probably more prone to, 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 to just judge it based on a, a four-minute interview after not getting to watch any of their actual workouts. Uh, but, I, you know, I think we it's pretty obvious they're, they're in a tough spot. There's no clear-cut three, and, you know, everyone thinks it's a two-player draft, and we kind of all joke about, well, will, uh, will Brandon Ingram slip past the Lakers? And <laughs> I don't, don't think we have to worry about that. But, um, you know, the, the hard part for me is that the one half of your brand says the Celtics were a terrible, terrible shooting team last year. They put up, what, third most three-pointers in the league and made the third least three-pointers in the league. So it, they need shooting. And so when a guy like Jamal Murray comes in and, and makes 79 out of, of 100 and or when they then they go out to the West Coast and Buddy Heald makes 85 out of 100, part of me is, is it's like, yeah, just get one of those guys. Like, it's got to help you. And then they, they, maybe they can help you quicker than someone like a Dragon Bender. But then uh, it's funny. Someone, someone on Twitter was as um, amidst all the, the hype about how many out of a hundred these guys are making. Someone said, Jimmer Fredette made eighty-four out of a hundred at like a at some random charity appearance over the weekend. And well, he was drafted one know. spot ahead, Clay Thompson, wasn't he? <laughs> I believe so. And one of the great picks in NBA history. Cautionary tale is that uh, guys making wide open three pointers in a workout might not be the the best way to gauge it. And uh, luckily, there are smarter people than me, like Danny Ainge and Austin Ainge and Mike Zarin, making these decisions, and and they'll have a whole lot more of a body to go on than I will. But you know, I think the the one thing we can probably agree on, right, is that you know, Danny tends to to like the curveball, and no one thought Terry Rozier last year. And um, I, I I wonder if it'll be a little bit out of left field. Like, you know, if, if they think Marquise Chris is the best player on the board, and even though maybe, you know, I know he's climbing a little bit and it seems like there's more hype now, but, you know, if people think he's not the, the, the obvious number three by the time the draft rolls around, I don't think that's going to stop Danny from, from picking him as, as, if he thinks he's the best player available. And I, I don't buy the notion that, like, you know, there's some people that don't want another guard, but that I'll throw that out the window if you, if the best player available is a guard and they can help the team, then then do it and, and figure it out because everyone's going to be playing five guard lineups eventually. When Chris Dunn hits a hundred out of a hundred threes, they're going to have to draft. <laughs> no, no, at no. That here, here, here's my conspiracy theory: Dragon Bender is going to come over and he's going to hit like eighty-eight out of a hundred, even if he has like a terrible workout. It's going to be you'll hear something like set all kinds of records, could not miss. Lakers should definitely take Dragon Bender at number two. And uh, and we'll see if that 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 smokescreen can actually get out there. My theory is that Danny Ainge has installed wider rims for these workouts just to drive <laughs> up the value of the third pick, because we hear all these stories, and I think he's would be prone to trade it. Now, not only is draft season time for wild conjecture in terms of who the Celtics are going to pick, but it's also crazy trade season. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we've heard Jimmy Butler, we've heard Kevin Love, we've heard all the same names we heard at the All Star, I mean the trade deadline this year. Uh, love silly season. Is there any validity to that? I know you're a very plugged in guy. Um, one, do you think there's any validity to it? And two, do you think that's a viable option? I mean, how much would they realistically have to give up for a player like Jimmy Butler or a player like Kevin Love? Yeah, so I, I definitely think there's validity because if we're being honest, you look at the free agent market and, you know, hey, like, I don't care how many crab legs you're throwing at 
Kevin Durant, I think we all know it's a, a pretty slim possibility and that you're just kind of hoping that you get the chance to make the pitch. But, like, after that, there's a drop-off, and, you know, I don't know if anybody really gets you going. So it, the, the trade market might be the next best option. It might be overall, it might be the best option overall because the Celtics have picks, they have young talent, there's potential to, to, to make these moves. So I, I asked our, our Bulls guy, Nick Friedel, I said, you know, just first off, give me a probability, and then tell me, like, what it will take. And I gave him, like, a list. I was like, here's what the Celtics have to offer. Like, every pick ever and all the young talent. And, like, what, what what would it take? And he said he that he still thinks the, the Bulls will keep Butler, but that they will actually, like, they'll consider anything. So if you threw the farm at them, they would have to at least ponder it. And given their sort of flux in terms of, you know, Noah's probably not going back, Gasol's probably not back. Like, there's, there's a chance that you could you could sell them on, on going the nuclear approach. And so... I said, what would the package be? And he said he won't want number three this year, Brooklyn pick next year, Bradley and Crowder. <laughs> and I said, this is a non-starter. Well, so I'm I'm on the opposite side of the fence. I'm I'm open to listen. Like I'm not running from the table. Like I don't think that's a good deal. But I'll I'll at least sit at the table and, and try and make you make you think a little bit about whether you come down from that bid because I do think. You know, you got to get to give and or, or give to get, and and so uh, if you can get like the the biggest problem with the draft, right, is that there's risk that there's high upside with these guys, but there's also like the the, the bust percentage almost always outweighs the boom percentage. Like the chance that they're going to be an all star is you know say twenty four percent, chance they're going to be a bust is like thirty five percent. So how do you mitigate that? You use your picks, you use your draft stash, and you use the players you've developed. And you get guys that are established and that you know will help your team. So I'm okay with overpaying if you know you're getting the sort of commodity that can push you over the top. Now, I'm not saying that that the Celtics should jump at a package where you'd essentially be giving up four stars, including uh, a potential high pick in a loaded draft next year, or what we think is a loaded draft. Now, I know some people are, sitting, are already saying, like, oh, no, no way you traded that 2017 pick. Brooklyn could be terrible, and that draft's going to be loaded. I'm not in that boat. It's as valuable as it's going to be right now because of the hype. So I'm fine with moving it if it can help you get get the next star. And I'll take that chance that that it, it that Brooklyn doesn't isn't the worst team in the league and that it isn't the next superstar that that emerges there. So I, I'm fine with including that, and I'm fine with moving three because there's no consensus on what it should be this year. So those picks are are, are not I want to say expendable, but if you're going to get an All Star in return, the sort of player that can really give you this boost forward i absolutely listen and it can be butler it can be love it can be whoever is out there um that becomes available and certainly you could rank those guys in, in different orders but um but no i i, I think you probably the, the only problem i have with the, the trade-off that, that we were kind of joking about was that you know there there's a, a legitimate line of thinking and and selfish fans will overvalue jay crowder but you know is there that much of an upgrade to give up all that to get Jimmy Butler. And I, I agree. I don't think you need to go that far to just upgrade marginally. Now, if it was just Avery and you could keep throwing another pick, then maybe I think about it a little bit more because, you know, then, then Jimmy Butler is coming in and taking that Avery Bradley position. And uh, so, so there's ways, again, I would go back at the bulls with something and see where they could find a middle ground or if they could throw more picks at them and pitch them on a bigger rebuild and stuff like that. But, 
Um, I guess it all comes down to is the team out there, you know, a team is it can they find the team with a with a star that is willing to hit the reboot or, or move on from a guy and, and it's just tough. It's like it, you know, we've been wondering this for a couple seasons now. It's just you got to be patient and you got to wait for that guy. I think the real question is 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 the guy you're getting back if paired with Isaiah Thomas immediately going to make you contender? And I think if you swap out Jay Crowder, who's arguably was the Celtics' second best, not arguably, he was the Celtics' second best player last year, the marginal like increase in talent with Jimmy Butler, it makes them a better team in the East, but it's not going to push them over the Cavs. And I don't think Kevin Love would do that either. Maybe someone like DeMarcus Cousins, and that's another person, a rumor, just going to throw out there, and we can debate till the end of time what the picks will be and when that's going to happen. But I'm reluctant to give up Crowder just because he was their second best player, and I with the contract he has, and I'm attached. I called him Bay once, and he laughed at it. That's that's a moment you can't. It's going to last forever. <laughs> but that's the problem, right? Like, cause you, and, I, and and even I, I'll be just as guilty as you is when you say that there's a marginal upgrade. It's more than a marginal upgrade to go from from Crowder to Butler. Like, it, I know there's two sides of the game, and, that, and Crowder is very important on the defensive side. Butler's, you know, he's, he's, he's okay. And I don't want to, you know, but the, the offensive side of it, I mean, Butler brings it on a consistent basis, whereas Jay is a little bit, you know, that's the problem. Like, that's the, the finding the stars is the guys that do it consistently. And so, you know, I, I do think you, you would not for one for one, you wouldn't make that move. Obviously, like you said, though, if the Celtics are going to get where they want to get to, then it's better to give up picks or you know other young players that aren't exactly part of their starting lineup because you need the pieces you've got already to get to where you want to be. I would say Butler's actually a great defender. I mean, he made his reputation on right. defense, and like any pretty much all great defenders, when they become really good offensive players, they have to sacrifice defense a little bit because you have to, you know, you're using so much energy on the offensive side. So. I would, you know, I would be. I think it would be a reasonable trade to trade the three pick and Jay Crowder for Butler. I think the three picks value is pretty, you know, commensurate with the increase in quality between Crowder and Butler. But obviously, you started getting into the extra pieces there, and it gets a little, it gets a little overblown at that point, especially because yeah, they have so many picks this year that they could use as filler. You can't blame a team for 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 having a high value on a star player because again they're hard to find and he's 26 years old and he's signed to a great deal especially as this cap starts to inflate so there, there's there's absolute reason for the chicago to demand the world for him and you know i think at the end of the day the bulls will sit there and say well you know what's our goal here our goal is to eventually find another jimmy butler as much as you know butler might have put himself in a tough spot because of of, of what he said last year and the way his attitude and uh not that it was it was it, that that Bulls team was a mess to begin with, so it was probably just part of the problem. But um, you know, it's uh, it, those are the guys you're looking for. So why necessarily are you trading for for picks that might not become that? And you're, you know, again, there's such a value when you have those guys that I that I understand why teams will ask for the moon. Do you hear that sound, Chris? What's that sound? That's the sound of the WEI Celtics mailbag oh, opening up. Oh, yeah, we're going to it early because my main man, Seafoam Jones, got two doozies in there that uh, I think are really going to blow this uh, popicle stand. But I got a, I got a one uh, early on. You've been at these. This is a Sam Packard original WI Celtics mailbag question. Um, 
You've been at the uh, all these workouts uh, and interviewing these players. Who is the has which um, prospect has the best personality? Who's the Evan Turner replacement in the locker room? Oh, man, if you could draft for purely quotes, who would it be? There, yeah, no, <laughs> it's funny because usually there's definitely a guy that jumps up. Like Stephen Adams when he came in was phenomenal, and uh, you could tell that he was just on a different level personality wise. And it's it, it's funny now to see it just how it's it's really bared out. Um, Hold on, I'm I'm still fuming mad that Thunder PR didn't let me talk to Stephen Adams when they came in, <laughs> and you so saying mad. that right now just really got my blood boiling. But continue. He, but, oh, he's so good. Uh, he just calls you mate, and it's just everything's better for New Zealand. <laughs> but you know what? There hasn't been anyone that's really, uh, really like each guy that's been through so far. That's been like one of the interesting dudes has said something like headline worthy, like. Jamal Murray said he was the best player in the draft, but it wasn't exactly like, hey, like thumping his chest, I'm the best player in the draft. He's just like, no, like, hey, that's what you're supposed to think. I'm the best player in the draft. And Thon Maker sort of said, like, hey, I'm a lottery guy, and I'm, hey, I'm pretty good. And, you know, that's what these guys should think. Um, but there hasn't been anyone that's really been like, wow, this, this guy's personality is going to, to separate him. No, like this might put even more pressure on the Celtics to bring back Evan Turner. That's a fair point. Do you think they, uh, Danny Ainge will bring him back purely based on his personality? Is good PR worth $10 million a year? I mean, if you're asking a, a sports reporter, like, absolutely. Like, what's a max contract? Like, <laughs> give it to him. Uh, we need that. We need that voice in the locker room. But, but no, it, uh, it, it, his play alone put him up in that probably that $10 million range. So uh, it's it, it, that's the biggest, the hardest part for me to reconcile this off season is that you know with their limited rights and the fact that he'll probably get money out there that the Celtics have are in a very tough spot to not bring back Evan Turner. Uh, damn early bird rights! I really put a dent in that. The part. early bird rights just killing them. All right, this is one of the most absurd questions we ever had, and just for purely based on basketball reasons, this is from at Jared Hoot one two eight eight five. Would you be disappointed if the C's? Only added Horford and Butler this offseason <laughs> with a chance to sign Kevin Durant after the 2017 season. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I, 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 uh, I don't know. I want to be as polite as possible. A simple no. No, you do not have to be polite about that question. A simple no would suffice. You would not be disappointed. I would, I would not be disappointed. Like in, in a land where uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that the Celtics don't throw oodles of money at the uh, Biombos and Barnes of the world for uh, lesser for playoff for for their mere playoff performances. I really hope that uh, that if, if if we settle, if the Celtics settle for Horford and uh, Butler and the chance for Kevin Durant <laughs> next year, that that's, that's pretty good go. <laughs> Dude, that was a great question because I have—I don't think I've ever laughed that hard at the question before. Hey, man, the was people... It, I, I, hey, I, only a Jared could ask a question like that. Did, did he use the sarcasm font? Like, I mean, this is... I just wonder if he meant it, like, legitimately. He did put only in quotation marks, so I don't know how we're going to interpret that. But thank you, Jared, for asking the question. And a lot of people ask questions and didn't use the WEI Celtics hashtag. Jared did, and that's why he gets uh, top billing right now. Nice, nice. I like what the reward the hashtag usage. Another hashtag user uh, is AK or it's at Kungu. Who's, uh, oh, I like Kungu. He's yeah, good. he's a good he's a good follow. Follow him out there on uh, if you're a Celtics fan. What would you I cons- like you guys trying to pronounce usernames because like oh, how would you pronounce K U N G U U U Kungu? No, like, 
even back in the day, we had this problem with 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 quapped, like or KWAPT. You know, like like how do you? It's how do we say that. Like I, I never knew how to do it. It's quapped. So quapped. Well, yeah. I don't know. I was always a I was a I was a quapped guy. <laughs> quapped. Yeah, right? If you're listening right now, quapped. Uh, please uh, send in proper pronunciation using the WEI Celtics hashtag. Do you know why he'd use quap? I don't know. It's an, well, it's an acronym for Kobe wears a purple thong. Oh, how did you figure this out? Did you DM? Because did you slide into his DMs to find out about the purple thong? This is this will take us back to the Chad Finn connection back oh, when go. I was at the Globe. I went to the 2000. I think I assume it was the 2007 finals, and. Uh, you know, we had we had just started using like Cover It Live when it was that was like a revolutionary thing, and he was like one of the main dudes in there. And I just had this curiosity. And I think I, you know, there was a, a private men- mentions function like this way before Twitter took off. And I was just like, Yo, dude, what's what, what's with this quack thing? Like, what, what's your deal? And that's when he uh, that's when he divulged it. And I never asked for the backstory further behind it, but uh, you know, it's it's pretty self explanatory. Yeah, you don't need a backstory there. We all understand well, Kobe's underwear choices. But yeah, so like I, I just want to listen to you pronounce Twitter handles for the rest of the night. All right, this is from at uh, Seafoam Jones. Oh, what a good no, one! You forgot Kongu. Oh, I forgot the question. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, what would you consider a good draft for the Celtics? Uh, Al Horford, uh, Jimmy <laughs> Butler. If they can somehow draft Al Horford and Jimmy Butler with a three and the sixteen. No, so a, a good draft would be, um, and I'm just. It, 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 I guess because we're, we again because Ingram and Simmons are not in my mind going to slide down. A good draft in my mind would probably be moving back, whether it's you know shuffling trading spots with Phoenix and letting them get Bender or whoever they're really lusting after. You know maybe moving back again if there's someone who's hot and bothered for Dunn and you know getting more assets. I know people are sitting there saying. Really, we're, we're, this is what we're, we're going to do. This again, we're going to take the Patriot approach. There's your Patriot reference, and uh, but if you're just not convinced that there's a huge difference between spots three and nine or whatever, and you still come away with Jamal Murray or Buddy Field or your shooter or whatever, um, and it gets you another mid-round pick, and you can get a you know another big man like you know I like I'm, I'm intrigued by Sabonis because of his bloodlines and. Um, I, there's a bunch of guys in the middle there that 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 I think you could bring in and and potentially be something someday. I mean, Vaughn was the number one guy in the in the in the recruit in the nation before he kind of fell off the radar. And um, I just think there's some guys in there that 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 you could find value in if you could if you could stockpile picks. So um, I think this is a this is a swings of the bat draft. Like I'm not saying they're going to use all eight. And I definitely think they're going to move out, move up, and move around. Based on on those picks, but if you could walk away with a pile of guys that you you're, think have a chance, and some guys maybe a little bit further down the road, I think that's a good draft. My successful draft would be any situation where they only end up adding two guys to the roster this year, just because they don't have roster sure. space, and unless they're trying to make the main Red Claws the best team in the history of time, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. If you look at the roster of just guys who have guaranteed contracts for next year, there's already ten or eleven people. It would make no sense to use anywhere close to all eight, even f- adding four people. I expect a bevy of trades, a bevy of trades. But, but what about this? And, and not to get away from the mailbag real quick, but what about this? Like, and I know people say the same thing, like, oh, you don't want to end up with, with all these people. What if you just created this super crazy intense camp and it's cutthroat and, and like, survival of the fittest? Like, 
who wants to make this roster? And that you throw James Young and R.J. Hunter and all these guys in there, and you're like, hey, we only got four spots for Adia. Who wants it? Let's see who actually develops. I think that would actually be a good thing for this team in order to develop young talent. And then you get all these guys under like crazy good deals, and you still have all that cap space, and you still have that flexibility. Uh, you could really position yourself well to to build into the future. What if that's what it took to get Jimmy Buckets to finally reach his potential? Like, if he just needs a little healthy competition. I don't know. If that's, that's all you have to say about uh, James Young. I think that was the perfect <laughs> response. All right, we're going to go to the last three uh, from probably the MVP mailbag uh, person, Seafoam Jones, a man I know uh, very well. Um, my favorite question of his is, uh, who was your first celebrity crush, parentheses, preferably animated? <laughs> the last part of that question really freaks me out. I've got that I mean, answer ready for you. I, I mean, is he looking for the, the princess in Mario Brothers or, like, someone from Zelda? Like, I don't know where why the, the animated part I mean, if you loved there. your Ocarina of Time, then you got to own up to it. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's anyone animated that I ever cut out their picture and put them on my walls, but I grew up in a time when animation wasn't quite as snazzy as it was. Now, I asked Seafoam Jones, uh, actually, before he answered this mailbag question, this is a discussion we had earlier, and I think he answered Tails from Sonic and Tails. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, but so let's see. Let's... My mine was going to be uh, Lola Bunny from oh, Space yeah. Jam. She could hoop. Yeah, I was six years old when that movie came out, and I was in love because I had never met a bunny that beautiful before. All right, Chris. So uh, on the hot seat, is Chris still here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. All right, we'll we'll, I, uh... we'll, we'll, we'll cross Just out your, fir- the, your the... first celebrity crush. Yeah, we'll cross out the animated human or animated. Your choice. Uh, okay, let's cross out the animated. I, I don't know. It's like I want to date myself now. Like I like to think that I'm. And cool with you, Marilyn Monroe. Your your three, yeah. Eleanor <laughs> Roosevelt. It was it was <laughs> Tiffany. You saw her at a uh, mall when you were six years. No, thirty five <laughs> years old. <laughs> uh, I never, you know, I I, I never can. Re- I don't remember at least being really young and like cutting picture out of a magazine or putting it on my wall or anything. I think the first thing I the the, the only thing that jumps to mind is that uh, is Jennifer Aniston was on the cover of Rolling Stone in, like, 96, and that was a pretty, I think, of, of, of teenage boys' words, that was a pretty seminal moment. But that, that that's the only thing that jumps to mind. I was a huge Aniston. Jennifer Aniston fan. I went out. I got the Rachel haircut. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was totally in. <laughs> Didn't we all? All right. Uh, moving on to um, Seafoam Jones' next question is, um, what conspiracy theory just kind of likes make you think, you know? <laughs> like, what's one that just made you ponder for a little bit extra? <laughs> I really, I really wish you would, you would just do me a favor in the future and just send me these before. So, I hey, he 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 added you on this one. You had a chance if you looked at your mentions. Oh, really? oh yeah. You know what? Okay, can I, I'll blame it on this. Is that? Um, my my mentions have been absolutely obliterated by Lakers fans who hated the sort of the the the, the trade that the Chad Ford brought up about you know uh, Randall and uh, uh, Russell for some of the Celtics draft picks and like they bombarded me like as if I you know I, I it was your fault Chris far-fetched. I guess so I like don't shoot the messenger but like hey it's, it's silly season we all come up with these trades that are 
that that you can shoot holes in. You know, Celtics fans, like I said, we just came up with a bold Celtics one where Celtics fans would like scoff at it, but I don't think it's that ridiculous. And uh, so I didn't see that one. Conspiracy theory that makes me think. <sighs> I've, uh, frozen envelopes, like to keep it in the NBA. Mm. I know it's not great, but I'm, I'm sorry. No, Jason Concepcion did a piece on that uh, earlier today for The Ringer, actually. Really? Yeah, it was pretty good. Well, all right, well. Well, that's work. the thing about the NBA is there's – I heard a lot of people – actually, Zach Lowe said on his podcast that if he said – if the series was tied at two – Draymond Green would not have been suspended. So just the very fact that like respectable reporters generally believe that it's that subjective and that the NBA kind of can control things from behind the the curtain makes you think that there's a there's something to buy in. It's it's just fun to have those NBA conspiracy theories. It's it, it's always going to be there, right? Like everyone thinks the refs are against them and, and just, you know, but hey, it's it's also a business and a business that's driven by entertainment and like it's only natural to believe that you're going to want to even the playing field as much as you can. It doesn't mean it's true. It just means that we're always going to we're always going to wonder. I mean, the first draft, the lottery winner every year is always a fascinating conspiracy theory. You every single one for the past like six years has always been oh, oh, really like, easily I, drawn. I like the conspiracy theory that they didn't actually do a drawing this year. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the, 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 the draw, like they forgot. <laughs> And so they just went with the draft order as it was. And they just told Matumbo way early that they yeah. were going to do that. <laughs> that would be great. All right, I have two conspiracy theories, both surrounding the same event. One I kind of buy into, and one I made up myself. I'll let you guys pick which one you want me to talk about. I want the one you made up. All right, JFK was a suicide. I mean, I'm sure you've got the evidence to back that up. All right, let's run through this right now. I've, I've run the— uh, This is Celtics-related, right? No, no, not at all. No, okay. All right, JFK was in World War II. He got in a crash on his boat um, and was in tremendous back pain throughout his entire presidency. So much so that he really just—he didn't want to do it anymore. He didn't want to go on. But he's a Kennedy, and he's the president of the United States, and he's a Catholic. So suicide is not an option. So he uh, comes up with this whole plan with the Cubans— RFK's in there somewhere, Zanzibar slacks, um, and he gets that done. And then he goes out as a martyr and gets some of the best domestic legislation passed that was going to, in his name, Voting Rights Act of 1964 and Civil Rights Act of 1965. So he had this whole grand plan all along to basically relieve himself of this terrible back pain and push the country forward in a way that they were not ready to do unless he uh, died and was removed from office. Your thoughts? What was your other theory? Oh, the other one that's like quite leg- uh, is there's some validity to is that he was actually killed by a Secret Service agent who is following behind him and who unwittingly had his gun go off, and that's the reason for the whole cover up because they didn't want to admit that uh, this was a ballistics es- expert who said that's kind of what made sense. And there's a lot of crazy theories out there about JFK, but that one who, and I've read them all, and that one makes the most sense to me. Sounds less steel beams than your first one, I'd say. Oh, my first one's absolutely out to lunch, but I know that, but it's just a, a, a wacky <laughs> thing to say as a history major. All right, well, another great conclusion to a Celtics podcast here. Uh, Chris, do you, oh, thought- you, must, you must have some conspiracy theory that just really gets you going. Something that gets you, know you stuck on Wikipedia I'm, for like hours I'm, on I'm, end. Yeah, He's too rational of a thinker. That is true, but I I know like there's got to be something. I'm gonna kick myself as soon as I hang up. So I'm, I'm gonna think of something like super great that uh, I'm like running through my head. But like I don't know. 
and 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 just nothing comes to mind. Like Jared, you got any? Well, actually, there was one that came out recently, which was I think it was a former CIA agent said that the Ayatollah Khomeini was actually paid off by the U.S. in order to. I think it was argument was that the whole revolution in Iran was to help stabilize the price of oil to keep uh, and to keep OPEC uh, from taking all the oil out of circulation. So that one's pretty <laughs> fascinating, but I really need to read up on it more to really. I know just want to imagine all the people right now who like tuned in to get like who the Celtics <laughs> are going to draft, like who they're going to trade for, just from that insider perspective from Chris Forsberg, and now it's us talking about JFK's theories and uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, like when you first brought it up, before you, you, you really made me feel bad about like my education level and what I think about. I was thinking, like, you know, did, did Chipotle plant that E. coli <laughs> to short, shorten the lines? And, that was just a typical know, stone BC kid doing that. That was no, no conspiracy there. Man, way to way to make me re-question my uh, what I what I sit around and ponder. All right, we're going to get you out. We're going to try to forget that entire conspiracy theory thing happened <laughs> and get you out on one good one. A little lighter lighter in the top uh, or topics. Uh, two, uh, we'll do fa- uh, rapid, rapid fire. All right. Why doesn't McDonald's sell hot dogs? Mm, oh, man. Well, we just, I get, uh, they can't rapid fire. Rapid fire. Like, rapid fire. You can't sell hot dogs fast food. It just doesn't work. I mean, it does. It, I guess Sonic does, right? So Burger King does. I mean, it's just crappy meat and bread. They can throw it together. It doesn't matter what form. They could make a burger hot dog. Is, is, it, I don't or know. Hot dog we go down this road when we when we do hot dogs. Is is hot dog a sandwich? I don't care that I I don't I, I don't care for that debate. It's just it's all crap food. Shove it in your mouth. Next question: Are eyebrows facial hair? No. Good answer. At the movie theater, which armrest is yours? If I let's see, depends on which side. Like you have to find in your mind the middle point of the row, and everyone on the right side gets the right, and everyone on the left side gets the left. Wrong. It's both. Next question. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm all out of That's questions. That's it. All right. <laughs> All right, Chris. I'm. I thank you for just. This, as always, I mean, this is what we expected when we brought well, Chris Forsberg on. Wait, 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 Chris. You have a question that you want to ask yourself. <laughs> Why do I agree to do this podcast? That is exactly my next question. All right, well, <laughs> that's it. Chris Forsberg, ESPN. Bo- oh, what, you got one, one more? Yeah. No, I was going to say for the sake of of your listeners, please put Chad first. Oh yes! Oh, we're ending on this. This is this is way too exciting to not end. On. Oh yeah, I'm going to no, take not, back my no. promise from about 30 minutes ago that you were going to go first because uh, really the the people don't need wouldn't listen to this. They we would never get to Chad Finn if uh, people had to listen through the last 15 minutes of audio. I mean, we do this for the Seafoam Jones in the world. There are our great 25 percent of our fans that really just come here for this ridiculousness. Danger Danger Card's theory is that podcast grind to a halt when you make the Twitter jokes. And I don't know if I agree. I kind of I, I do enjoy the fact that we go off the rails. Well, that's because Danger Card is just a, a little white cat that has no taste in podcasts whatsoever. My conspiracy theory? Yes. Danger Card is actually someone within the Celtics organization, and he's just, they sent out like some prop that night we met. Oh, really? Because I was really confused when he wasn't a cat and I met him. I was like, you look more human being than cat. But that, that makes sense. It's probably Danny Ainge all along. 
danger cart, not danger cat. That's true. That's <laughs> so, true. Well, yeah, I was really confused by your whole cat take. <laughs> no, because his profile picture is a is a little white cat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. All right, I'm calling. I, but hey, if you're from Boston, it's danger cat. <laughs> Oh, it is Danger it is Cat. Danger cat. All right. I, I'm calling shenanigans <laughs> on this entire podcast. All right. It's going to be over. Chris Forsberg, ESPN Boston, thank you for joining us. And, of course, we'll talk to you some point in the future. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll – no, we're going to get just as ridiculous in the next time. <laughs> yeah, we make no problems. It's going to get off the rails just again. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Later, Chris. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for us here at the WEI Celtics podcast. For Jared, I am Sam Packard. Big thanks to Chad Finn and Chris Forsberg for joining us on the WEI Celtics podcast. Next week on Thursday is the draft. We plan on doing something for it. We're not exactly sure yet. Jared, you look like we're not. you know what we're going to do. I mean, I'm thinking Friday after the draft's over, we'll probably get into the studio and make some magic. Also, we've got to thank anyone that's still listening at this point of the show, which is always, I think, a great accomplishment if you're able to stick with us this far into the program. If you are still listening, please spread the word. Give us a uh, subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Um, Listen to us uh, on WEI.com, iTunes, Stitcher, CLNS Radio, mobile application. Of course, you can find links to our show when we tweet them out from our respective Twitter accounts. You can even find us on Grinder. We'll probably be telling you about our podcast. That would be weird, but I'm open to it. As long as we can get more listeners, I think that's a it's a great strategy. We gotta reach out to everybody, right? Alright, reach out, reach around. We'll do anything here at the WEI Celtics Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.